Hello and welcome to The Super Show. I am your host, Alex Jones, and today it is a full house because I am joined by Jamie and by Chris. It is incredibly exciting. It feels like this is a rare occurrence uh, these days. Hello, fellas. How the hell are you? I'm going to start with Chris because we haven't seen you uh, for a couple of weeks. How are you doing, my friend? Yes, hello. I'm 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 doing okay. I'm on, I'm on the mend. Put it that way. All right. Got a bit of a chest infection and uh, getting over it slowly but surely. Too much. Oh, uh, keep it, mate. Sexy, raspy voice. Keep that on the go. Uh, yeah. It's like Barry yeah. White showing up. Well, let, let's see how it goes towards the end of the night when I just start like, croaking like a fucking frog. But uh, you yeah. one of those things you put in your neck. Hello, Jamie. Perfect. Yeah, but uh, yeah, too much Catherine Zeta pussy for me. Uh, just kind of <laughs> fucking hell. What are you going to do, boys? When it's juicy, it's juicy. So it's almost a pandemic at this point. <laughs> that don't make me laugh too much, all right? Uh, but fellas, are we not just like 2022 just being the fucking most cursed podcast out there? We're in the running, that's for sure. Yeah, it's not been uh, it's not been the best, that's for sure. But in the last couple of years, I think the fact that all the three of us are still alive is probably pretty pretty decent. Well, so. Maybe even the fact that we haven't killed each other is quite a miracle in a, <laughs> in and of itself, right? There is that. Although is that. I am nervous now because you two have both had you know brushes with death already this year, and I feel like it's my turn now to be ill for like seven weeks. I'm just slightly worried about what's actually going to bring me down, and how quickly it'll recover. Like, I'm going to have a stroke live on the podcast one day. We all know it, and we'll get to laugh about it in the moment, and then I won't be on for five weeks, and it'll be sad. That will be the first podcast that we do a thumbnail with us in it, and it'll just be you with, like, half your face melting off. <laughs> on a scale of, like, let, let's lay out the time here from, like, half an hour after the podcast ends to the week after when the next podcast started recording, how long do you think it would take Jonesy to suggest that we turn the clip of me having a stroke into a YouTube short? Um, almost immediately. Probably during the podcast. You're, you're busy having a stroke. Come on. And then Jonesy's like, End keep, of keep, the keep going, keep going, Jamie. An- another 40 seconds. Keep going. Got to, got to reach that minute. <laughs> exactly, yeah. We're going to have to loop it like, if you yeah, don't have I'm any even for the ambulance. Yeah. I need the ambulance to care. That's and, what I think, though. If Jamie got ill, if Jamie had like a cold or he had COVID or he had something, he would still make it to the podcast, but he would just be in pants with a towel, like or, or like a wet towel over his head or something, and his room would be all like dingy and dark. It would just be the light of the monitor lighting his face up, and he'd be there almost dead, just still plugging away. Because like he it. is, um, I think out of all of the episodes and all of the uh, the, the missing um, presenters from this. I think Jamie is is probably stuck around the most. I think he's probably th- running like a ninety nine percent or something. Uh, more probably more than that. I think I think he's only been off once. Like legitimately, is it, is it, I, I think that's that's it. And if it we not, if we're on what like one twenty six or something, then yeah, we, we'd really have to go back and once. run the numbers. It's it's not very often. Um, well, because the other thing, like again, you guys have slightly more active lives than I do as a result of you know family obligations you've got kids running around you got kids going in out of schools and nurseries you're getting all kinds of infections and illnesses and diseases <laughs> dragged into your homes every other day i've spent the last two plus years kind of staying put um which you know, you know what you know what i like yeah, to think helps. i like to i like to think that your ass crack is like molded into the chair and like the chair and you have become one entity and actually you have not moved from that chair since covid began yeah, do you know what? That would be a very accurate observation were this not a brand new chair that I literally built like 45 minutes ago. Yes. <laughs> nice. Hard yeah. time. 
Yeah, you literally are the same chair for, as you basically gestured at, the entire two-plus years since lockdown. And uh, not only were there butt grooves in the seat, but also the hydraulic system had completely broken, so it was stuck on the lowest level. So I had to sit with my legs, like, like spread <laughs> oh, out. Like, yes, I had to James. sit with my legs, like, straight out. And you were the hydraulic system. Yeah. And also the left uh, arm. I wonder if this is obvious to people when they watch back the video, but it had completely gone, so I couldn't put any weight on that side. I put all my weight on this side. And sometimes I'd get to the end of the working week and my shoulder would be uh, would hurt for, like, half an hour to an hour afterwards. Oh, weird. Because it had been hanging like on its own the whole day with no support i love it the, te- the terrible thing is as well like <clears throat> chairs are so important like when it comes to you know like working at a, at a desk all the time and i think it's something we take for granted and so the fact that jamie totally. has been sat on some yeah. busted ass oh broken like, down chair for the last two years this mu- it must be you know when people describe the phenomenon of experiencing a new and let's say, rather expensive mattress for the first time. That was what Mm. I went through with this chair, where I sat in it to test it, make sure it didn't collapse under my girth, and stood up, and my immediate reaction was like, oh my God, that's what chairs are meant to feel like. (laughs) Jamie's been sitting, you know the prank where it's like the rod sticking out of the stool where you sit on it and it slides down, and then the the prank (laughs) that they've got the rod I I kind of think that's why he kept kept that chair around for so long. Right. He was enjoying just it. Just lubed much. it up and enjoyed the ride, yeah, baby. Yeah, he kept it nice and grease. I didn't need any WD-40 for it to go up and down. <laughs> wow. It was all self-lub- it was self-lubricating. Exactly. Well, well anyway, now that we've lost like 90% of our audience. Yeah, now that we've gone down a very strange route, um, let me give a quick shout out just to tell everybody that we are on YouTube uh, and we're on Twitter at Super Show Pods. You can reach out to us. You can leave us a comment or you can tweet at us. Um, we're also available on all the, ma- the major podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and all the rest. So if you are watching us and you'd like to listen to us, or you're listening to us and you'd like to watch us, hey, you've got multiple options. You don't need to just pick one. You can mix it the hell on up. Do you know what I like to do sometimes? Is I like to go for a little walk with Spotify playing, and I pop a little earpod in, airpod, whatever they're called, and I go <laughs> for a little stroll. Oh my and god. It's lovely. That was the most millennial way you've ever described any interaction you've had with this podcast. Airport. It, it, it was it was almost as All if Alan Partridge was on the uh, podcast there. Hello. Yeah. I, I can't do Alan Partridge. I was going to try then. I don't know what he says. So Eat my goal. That, there you go. Thank you very much. Back um, of the if net. If you want to make this... If you want to get even more Alan Partridge and you want to have the real-life radio experience, you can check us out on paisleyradio.com. Internet radio, Thursdays at 10pm, repeated on Mondays at 10pm. Uh, and we don't might not sound like Alan Partridge, but at least you can listen to us in semi-real time and you can you can get that sort of radio feel. Um, I know that's how I love to listen to it. I know Is it really radio it. without the radio feel? What is the sound of one hand clapping? When we was it? We were talking about. Um, oh no, this is going to be weird. I would be talking about this with someone else. And I'm getting completely completely confused. The idea of having like a, a radio, an internet radio, radio that looks like an old literally school radio. on the podcast. Yeah, we last pitched week. it. That was our Dragon's Den that was, thing. We did. Oh, okay, yeah. There you it, was go. A, it was a real James like, up to date digital cool. radio that feigns being an old timey radio. Yes, so we can then have Paisley Radio playing out that while we're fixing our car. I don't know why in my head we're fixing a car. We're always fixing a car in the garage while we're listening to the. Uh, fake old timey radio with the um, super show playing Um, well with that guys I want to move on to the first uh, news story this week Um, you know it's becoming all far too common but this is off the back of a um, a little leak that's what everyone loves these days isn't it leaky leaks Um, 
Uh, and this is the leak that Ma- a Mafia prequel is reportedly in development. It's going to come before the events of uh, Mafia 1, 2 and 3. And it is being made by Hangar 13's UK studio in Brighton. Um, and so it, this is one thing that surprised me because it's set before the Mafia trilogy, which is going to put it in like the 19... Oh, like I don't 19, even know. 1920s? 1910s? Yeah. I'm surprised that it surprised you though, considering it is a prequel. It'll be hard for no, a prequel to be set after no, the events of the trip. And I get what Jonesy's saying. Jonesy's saying like, it's surprising that they're going for a prequel. Yeah, mm, like, okay. I guess the idea of the, like, obviously they've, they reflect on it in Mafia 1, and I, I guess I can't remember it in Mafia 2 or 3, but the fact that a lot of the guys who um, are in the Mafia got their skills from World War 1, right? They were in yeah. the war, which was how they learned to shoot and stuff, um, which is almost like parroted by uh is it the later mafia game where he goes to vietnam and then he comes back mm. and he sort of similar thing so is this gonna be i guess just after the events of like world war one when they first sort of come back i don't really know what do you think they're gonna do with this where do you think they're gonna go i i wonder if it's gonna be like uh it- italians going to like just landing on american soil and kind of like starting out from there right because right. When, when, when you're playing like mafia one like there's established crime families that you kind of like, hey, you know, you you, you, you join exists, them yeah. and, you know, you become a made, made man and all that shit. Whereas like, this might be setting all up, you know. Making the men. La cosa nostra. Mm. I don't, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm with you, Jonesy. I, I think like, curious to put it in a kind of prequel light to the, to the original trilogy. So, huh, you know, like, could be cool. Like, as long as they keep that like, they don't have to do much to do like a good Mafia game, right? And I think maybe that's maybe where Mafia 3 kind of fell down as they tried to do more than, than they needed to, like mix up the formula a bit too much, you know. New Coke, as it were. <laughs> well, they, I mean, like 1, with the remake, we got to see just how good 1 was again. Um, and then obviously didn't quite hold up uh, yeah. for the, the, yeah. the sequels. So I'm supposed they're hoping to recapture some of that magic and maybe that's why they're going back toward that you know, they're like, hell, let's start this shit all again with, uh, you know, go before Mafia 1. Let's kick it. Let's kick it off old school. Yeah, it, it's a weird one because I guess like maybe they felt weird about sort of entirely rebooting the trilogy or the series and just doing another different Mafia story with another set of characters, uh, you know, but set in the same time period. Because obviously, I think I'm right in saying that some of the ways that they linked a Mafia's one Mafia 1 to Mafia 2 and Mafia 2 to Mafia 3 suggests that they are, one doesn't even suggest they are literally all in the same timeline and those yeah. characters all yeah. coexist. So maybe it was like a bit too weird to just pick up a different story somewhere else entirely. Um, I did look it up though and I can confirm what you were both saying that um, Mafia and Mafia Definitive Edition were set in the 30s which would make this presumably set in the 20s and um, although I don't have time to go through the Wikipedia article for Roaring Twenties to find out anything interesting about it, one thing I did take note of, and I did just fact check to see um, whether or not it'd be relevant, is that Twenties appeared to be a pretty good time for our old friend Al Capone. Um, oh, I don't know if okay. there's any potential tie-ins there, and they do, you know, they so do their own riffs on that. Pro- so Twenties was Prohibition, was it? Prohibition. prohibition. Yeah, like, Prohibition has like a... a um, a, it, it, it started in 1920 and ended in 33. So there's more right. prohibition Jesus, in the 20s than there is. 13 years. I didn't realize it was that long. Jamie knew that we were going to talk about this this story, which is what, and he knew what was going on, which is why he's wearing his Scarface t shirt. 
Yeah, big time. I just thought there's nothing more appropriate than talking about mafia in the 1920s and Al Capone than wearing a T-shirt about a gangster in Florida in the 80s who deals cocaine. What was Al Capone's... But Al Capone was called Al Scarface Capone, wasn't he? I I actually don't know. I thought he was. Did he have a scar on his face? I thought he was called... I thought that's how he was referred to as Al Scarface Capone. Maybe. I believe it. it. Hey, it's a good nickname. Like, I can aspire to being referred to as Scarface one day. His nickname was Scarface. There you go. Al Scarface Capone. I forget, did, did the Mafia trilogy at any point have, uh, like, other than allusions to certain real figures, did they ever actually incorporate real historical figures? I don't remember. I don't, like, now you say it, I thought Mafia 1 <laughs> did. No, I don't uh, think so. But I don't, but yeah, I can't remember anyone specifically, so I'm going to have to, I, I don't know. Um, I, it's not, I have that problem of when I play, even like, I played Mafia 1 through to completion when it got remade and I still can't remember like any of the characters in that apart from like a couple of them. Yeah. So I'm going to say I have no idea, unfortunately. Um, but uh, hey, at least we know this might be a little different from the other Mafia games because the writer and director of the recent Mafia games, Hayden Blackman, who was the studio head at uh, Hangar 13, um, it's been announced that he is doing the um, that little manoeuvre where he says, I'm going to pursue different endeavours. So he's been, I don't know if he's been slid out or whether he's, you know, yeah. we, 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 we don't know if he's been fondling someone who's not meant to be fondling. Well, been, okay, hold on, hold on. The door. Hold there. No, 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 no. You cannot just drop something like that in this day and age, Christoph. I said we, we don't know. I said we no, don't know. You can't just hey, say we don't know. Chris, obje- is- objection leading hearsay foundation. No, no, no. It witness. only works if I say it myself. In oh, my sorry. Own yeah, no, yeah. you're right, actually. My bad. Uh, did you did you see that Overruled. about the... Uh, there was a thing on the um, the Johnny Depp trial where uh, Amber Heard's lawyer objected to himself. That's, <laughs> that's what Chris is referring what, to. Oh, yeah, okay, you are. I was just checking. I was just checking. Oh, no, man. That was, I thought that was funny. But, uh, fellas, okay, do you ever doubt, maybe more so than ever, you should believe that we are living in a simulation? Because that, that whole fucking thing is absolute I f- madness. I find it fascinating. I can't oh, help but find it super fascinating. Super fascinating, yeah. Like, you feel bad for them, but, like, it is just, like, laid up there, just, like, fucking hell. Yeah. It's also it's super just- interesting. Super interesting. Yeah. I know that's, maybe, I don't mean interesting, like, it's bad for both parties involved, obviously. It's horrible what they both went through like whatever who you believe who whatever side mm. you but it's 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 fascinating to see like relationship laid bare like that but it's not, it's, me, not it's just the whole circus around it fellas the the fucking doorman yeah. who was vaping in his car and then drove off to work he's like i, I don't want to handle this and then like uh, johnny depp fucking drawing pictures and shit and quite like the 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 defense right, right. The, the um amber heard's lawyers just how fucking incapable they are like it's just like you can't make this like, shit up. It's crazy. She, she's had a couple of really good days, though, apparently, isn't it? Because she's now on the stand and it's kind of flipped a bit. Yeah, well, yeah. fucking surprise, surprise. They're both fucking actors. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like, yeah. that, actually, are you going to yeah, trust right. anything that they say? Either <clears throat> of them. Absolutely. Sorry, the, the, true. Of them, yeah. The social media thing is, like, what I find the most fascinating. And just, I can't help, but every single video I watch, whether it's on that fucking Law and Crime Network or whether it's on... Fox or wherever yeah. it's at, I have to read the comments because it is just swarms, a bona fide army of people who not just are ravenous uh, every, like, every opportunity to support Johnny Depp, but also will shoot down and like like make every possible attempt they can to like deplatform and fucking attack yeah. the character of whoever's, you know, making some kind of like... 
statement against. I, I've got a, I've got a theory on this, and, and let me see what you think. Okay, so for the record, I think they both fucking abused each other, uh, but I think maybe Amber Heard is kind of laying it on a bit thick, shall we say? Okay. But that, but besides the point, I kind of get the feeling. So you know, I always kind of defend Twitter and say like Twitter is a platform that you make it, right? Yeah. So. I wonder if I've clicked on a hashtag that kind of was a pro Johnny Depp hashtag, okay? as, an, as an example. Now, hold on. And then I wonder if because I've started down that path, algorithmically, I'm being pushed to side with Johnny Depp. Whereas <laughs> if, I, if maybe there was a flip of a coin, fucking sliding doors, Gwyneth Paltrow sucked me off, and all of a sudden, I click on Amber Heard was right, and then mm. all of a sudden, I'll be getting all this pro Amber Heard sentiment. Uh, don't you think that that's an interesting kind See, of take? Well, that's why Elon's buying Twitter, is he's going to flip the coin for everyone, he's going to ban all the hashtags that are like justice for Johnny and all that stuff. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. But I, do, you know, I, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I sometimes wonder if yeah. I'm falling prey we, to we, an algorithm making me think a particular like, way. Even even if like Twitter and Instagram and so on and so forth are working as intended, you inadvertently create echo chambers because it is like benefits from showing you the things it believes you want to see and the things you believe yeah, it believes true. you want to see are what you interact with. That's why you can like people. One of the fascinating things with the rise of TikTok is that that's almost entirely algorithmic because people just go on their homepage and watch the content that TikTok uh, services for them. Yeah, and it's fascinating talking to different people and talking about literally open conversations oh what's your algorithm like because i have i know some people whose algorithms are like entirely gaming and some are entirely football and i know one guy i won't say his name but his algorithm is all like fucked up stuff like midgets or people with disabilities and stuff like that like although like he just gets all the weirdest videos on his TikTok i'm trying algorithm. to think who it is now you you know him but you also you I don't know if you might be surprised if I have okay. to tell you afterwards. That you're right, not fine. missing out on anything, audience. So, hold on, what, what does it mean that mine's all ethos? What does that mean? Mm, I don't that know what it means. That means exactly. I mean, that's what, that's what my that's what my kind of like placebo Instagram is. It's just <laughs> it's just food and naked women. Right. To be fair, though, regardless of where <coughs> the algorithm may or may not be funneling us, the fact of the matter is that you know Amber Heard's defense is fucking ridiculous. Like th- yeah. that, that stuff's not being algorithmically fed to me that, you know, the lawyer fucking uh, objected to his own fucking co- line of questioning. Dumb. See, ah, but it kind of, it kind of is. So I, I can't, I don't know if it's the algorithm necessarily. I think it's more like stratification in that you have, you have the general population, right? Like more people I think are pro our team, Johnny generally speaking, like on Twitter and other places, like the the person to person. You then have like the higher tier. So when you get to like mainstream media, more people are pro Amber Heard, it seems. So then you get the articles all saying- Do you think so? I don't I, think- I, That's the impression I get. But then it's almost like, so then I think the, the people that are Team Johnny, it's almost like a reactionary thing to- um, the fact that they see a lot of stories that are in the media with a pro Amber Heard, but then I think you get the opposite as well. Like you get the media see there are loads of pro Johnny Depp people, and then they reactionarily write stories about like Jesus, everyone's pro Johnny Depp, but I'm going to look into it, and then they say, oh no, like Amber Heard's not getting a fair shake. So I almost think it's like this weird, like echo chamber in itself where they're fight. They, it's like an echo chamber where they're bouncing off of each other. Yeah, and you get this really weird situation where. Yeah, like, because I get, I've had the same thing as you. Like, everything I see is Team Johnny. Mm. It's like, Team Johnny, Team Johnny. 
and I don't see anything, and I've never clicked on anything as far as okay, I know. Okay, okay but hold on, because because Amber Heard just started to take the stand, right? Like I think as of yesterday at the time of recording. Yeah. So I, it would be interesting to see how that changes the more she kind of like testifies. Yeah, it, it will do. It will do. What What is interesting about the whole thing, I think, is, I, I yes, bizarre to me to be on a team, like sure. right, like at the end of the day, and, like it's. And that's so, kind of weird, right? And to be blindly on a team, like to kind of follow up from that thing I was saying earlier about the YouTube comments, if you want to laugh, look at any of the comments on any of the videos featuring the, I believe she's either a psychiatrist or a psychologist, the the female one, not the one that uh, was kind of on Johnny's team and they kept asking her questions about going to his house for dinner. The other one who took the stand just a day or two before Amber did herself, the one who was like, there's no question that Amber was the victim and the only victim of uh, intimate partner violence or whatever it's called. Um, and just read the comments. And it is just hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of people who are like, oh my God, you can just see the through the lies so clearly. How much are they paying this woman to say this stuff? And it's like, on the one hand, like it is a bit weird that a trial like this that's played out so public has become a circus, as we said, and we're almost in, like consuming it for entertainment. But on the other hand, Glad, I'm um, God. Does it make me glad that I'm not as fucking brain dead as some people out there? Oh, like, I can yeah, yeah, thank yeah, totally fuck, right. I can think for myself. So it was, it was interesting because Chris was saying, um, you know, about the the and we were saying about the the lawyer that objected to himself. Apparently, what he did in that instance, because I actually watched a video. There's a guy that I like to watch on YouTube who's a lawyer who breaks down like other law things, and he actually said what the lawyer said when he said objection. It, he didn't do the wrong thing. Because what he was objecting to was um, the answer that the witness gave that could have been hearsay. What he should have said is, he said the wrong word. He shouldn't say objection. He should have said motion to strike from the record. Right. Because right. what he meant was the the evidence the guy, or the answer the guy gave was potentially hearsay, therefore should have been struck. But rather than say motion to strike, he said uh, objection, hearsay. And then the judge was like... It was your question. So, but, was, but then the best thing was just like, it's like, word, which I oh, was yeah, okay. And yeah, he carried on. Like, his head as though he's realised what he's done. That was funny, man. That was funny. Like, I did laugh at that. That was good. Um, um, anyway, though, like, okay, we need to... Hey, we need to how hyped are we for Mafia prequel if we spoke more about I will, the fucking... I will, I will say, Jonesy, were you going to mention that uh, the other element there or were you going to move on? Uh, which other element, sorry? I was, I was oh, going to give them the a shout-out, oh, yeah, for the engine. My... My bad, my bad. So um, I'm sure a lot of people know that the uh, Mafia trilogy remasters back in 2020, um, they used the uh, Mafia 3 engine, but this prequel will not be on the Mafia 3 engine. It is doing what every other game is doing at the moment and it's going to be on Unreal Engine 5 um, because we all know that you can make games look insanely good on Unreal Engine 5. So fair, fair I just <laughs> I thought that was worth a shout out just because... Like I think they did a, a bunch of work and a lot of it was really uh, good work to get that engine in the right place for Mafia Definitive Edition because Mafia 3 was so broken in so many ways. But I still think that ultimately, in spite of that work, that um, this is a positive move and it gives them far more flexibility and a far higher ceiling, especially going into next-gen. Like the idea of a true next-gen Mafia game running on UE5, that could be really pretty. So, um, yeah, sounds good. It it is, it's got to be tricky every time you sort of, especially if you get an engine, you know, working quite nicely and you obviously think, oh, hey, we can make the next game on this engine. We've got a lot of experience with it. But at the same time, now that the games take so long in development, you must know that if you start on an engine that you've already been using for a while, 
yeah, like the ceiling's going to be so much lower and actually you need to push it a bit. Which I saw interesting thing skill up shared today, which is about a, uh, I think it was an indie dev that made some really good looking game. Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the game. Trek to Yomi? No, um, it was something else. But basically they're migrating the entire game. The game was supposed to be oh. out in a couple of months and they're migrating the entire game onto UE5, um, which is going to take a year. And so it's like, oh, that's a hell of a decision to make, like, you know, that close to um, actually trying to get the game out. I'm going to live really quickly, find Skill Up Suite and see. But I want, oh, I it's, it's the day before. It's that um, yes. third person. Oh, that MMO. Yeah, third person MMO with like Last of us style vibes. That, and it's the most, uh, I think it's the most wishlist game on Steam. Yeah. At the moment. It's famous oh. for like having this abundance of gorgeous looking ridiculous trailers and a a distinct lack of playable enticing. Sorry, are we talking about <laughs> Star Citizen or <laughs> <laughs> but, but don't you think that like it being the most wish listed uh, Steam thing at the moment? Don't you think that maybe um Epic kind of reached out and said, Hey, play your game, hey. wanted to Unreal Engine five as a showcase give you fucking five billion dollars and six blowjobs. You never done. know, right? You never know. Yeah, like absolutely. Could, yeah, totally. Could. It's, that's what's always interesting about those things. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes and for them it might absolutely be worthwhile to wait a year to put that game out if they can, if they can change the engine. It does kind of beg the question because I remember on ATG when we did the um, Game Changers video on Bioware and Anthem and yeah, Frostbite was a, was a massive... Problem seem seems still to be a massive problem for um, Bioware uh, and EA, kind of forcing people to do. Although now less so, I guess. But it, it almost kind of like begs the question: Why do why do companies do this? Like, yes, you can build the tools to tailor to yourself, but when you get something like Unreal Engine Five, which is such a jack of all trades, but to the point where it does everything really well, and then when you're attracting developers, and the developers know Unreal Engine of having to learn a new engine like what's well what is the payoff these days like maybe sure maybe, maybe unreal engine 3 was like not robust enough etc but surely by now it's like you know that yeah that that's the most important distinction right is these days because it's like you said i think yeah um epic have spent a lot of money particularly um fortnite money lately offsetting <laughs> the the, co- the cost for them um of developing uh, Unreal Engine, and also passing on some of those savings to whoever wants to use it. But yeah, there was certainly a time, especially when EA, and I remember this from from that video, when they were looking yeah. to transition over to Frostbite, the advantage for them was it would be their own proprietary engine, um, so they owned all of the tech and it could be any advancements they made would be solely theirs, as opposed to being shared with anyone else who, you know, as yeah. you know, if Unreal Engine 5 gets better, everyone gets better. EA could keep things to themselves. It also meant that, like, sharing information and employees and, like, tips and advancements and stuff like that was also all company-wide. So, like, someone could go over to someone else and be like, I know exactly what you're doing and how you work because I'm intimately familiar with this engine. Um, and also the last thing, like you said, they, they, it meant they didn't have to give any money away, which yeah. even if Epic don't take much nowadays, companies like EA at the time, they were like, hang on a second – making every single game in our own engine as opposed to making every single game in Unreal means a lot less money is being given to, you know, to Epic. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I imagine as well that um, if you know you're only going to be doing a limited number of things in, say, like, a specific IP, 
there isn't necessarily a good reason to go and use something like Unreal Engine 5, which tries to cover a lot of ground, especially if you want to focus in on, say, one specific area. Like, yeah, I can then imagine. You use Unity, in, Jonesy. <laughs> well, well, no, but I imagine there's, a, there's some space where you can say, hey, we want to super specialize into this specific area, and it makes more sense for us to build our own engine or to use a very specific oh, yeah, engine of course. or do whatever. Like, like surely, the, like. Um... I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure on this, but like I'd imagine something like No Man's Sky is its own proprietary engine because they needed all that algorithmic work to figure out like how to generate all those, well, the galaxy, right, maybe, the, the, yeah. that universe, right? Yeah, and then you think if you're going to make something which is which is quite specific, you maybe you know you maybe want to make the power of the engine go in that direction. <laughs> like you don't care as much about the uh, you know the some of the other areas yeah. that can do like unreal engine 5 is very it seems to be very powerful and like it looks fantastic and you know the open world stuff and all of that's going to be amazing and etc etc et but if you're making like some little i don't know really super specific indie game where you're like i don't need any of that bollocks i i really want it to do some weird shit in a really specific way yeah, like, like what if you wanted to do a game where they were like it was like a blue floor with a bunch of like yellow blocks <laughs> arranged in a circle and uh mate i've got a great engine for that Unity all the way. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Works perfectly. Don't need Unreal Engine 5. But you know what? You don't need Unreal Engine 5. But you know what you do need, lads? Ooh, I'm that? sure you're going to tell us, Jonesy. You do need fans because <laughs> without them, we're just a couple of fellas <laughs> sitting at home chatting to each other and recording it for our own purposes, which is kind of weird. Um, but we don't just do this for ourselves. We do do this for other people as well. And we do do it for some very special people that are our patrons over at patreon.com. Um, they support us every week, week in, week out. They support us uh, by chatting to us on our Discord. They support us by leaving little comments. But they also support us by giving us a little bit of money, as little as $2. Um, and that gives you access to our Discord. And then we also have some other tiers as well. We have some... Uh, what do you call it? Some other content. I can't remember the name for it. Patreon exclusive Patreon content. Exclusive, exclusive content. That's the word. Some exclusive content. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> they've all gone to patreon.com forward slash super, super show to support us. And I would like to uh, give a shout out to some um, right now. There are some patrons on screen at the moment, but I would like to shout out Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Bill Caesar, Brimstone, Cole K, Helium Joker, Ice Nort Rock Salt, Jesper Camden Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Nathan Piers, Neil DeGeld's Dream of Prosthetic Mustaches, Daniel, Pastors Guild, Scary Omen, Starfall Kid, The Ballers Beauty, The Gorgeous Gelding, The Yummy Eunuch, The One and Only Mark Clancy. And I would like to give a shout out to the big dogs. They are Brett Z, aka Shellshock, Doppler, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Read, Manuel Guerrero, Peaswad, and The Uncaged. Thank you so much to all of our patrons. Thank you for supporting us. Um, you keep the lights on. You keep us being able to come back and not just be nutters who sit here recording this for our own entertainment, which would be kind of weird if we did that. So um, thank you so much. Uh, and if you would like to join the Patreon, you can go to patreon.com forward slash supershow. Hell yeah. Um, I, I think if it wasn't for these fellas... Uh, I probably would have written you guys out of my life long ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, I already have written you guys out of my life, like, mentally. I've completely checked out. I pretend that I don't know you for kind of six days a week, and then I just sort of slide in every now and then, chat about games, and then get on with my life. It's not true, though. It's not true. Don't don't say that, because it break my, breaks my heart. And we need true. to we need to sort out a get-together very soon and uh, Hell yeah. have some smoked meats. 
We do, because for one, I don't know that you two still exist. <laughs> you could both be AI... Uh, Living in the fake, simulation, Jonesy. You know, actors who have just like using all the footage from previous podcasts. I'm actually Let's- Johnny Depp. I'm, I'm a really good actor. <laughs> I'm Amber Heard, and whatever you do, don't shake your sheets before you go to bed tonight. Uh, I'd have no idea and the only way to prove that is by meeting in person so I think that's probably the way way to go about it the sun is showing signs of beginning to return to our lives so maybe that can be a good excuse absolutely sun's out Uh, Jonesy sun's out buns out because Jonesy wears those chapless trousers whenever around nice yeah arseless chaps (laughs) yeah barbecue attire that's what that is barbecue attire but yeah it, it was like the last time we got together and we we did that we recorded some additional content for the channel which went up uh early on patreon um so we'll, we'll you know besides like meeting up and having some barbecue meat try and do something special Oh, of, like you were on the verge of going into Zuckerberg territory there, dude. You were one sweet baby Ray's mention away from That's, getting full Zuck. I mean, give me a little bit of credit. That's why I'm doing it. Smoking some brisket and some ribs. That's yeah. as simple as that. Smoking these meats. Okay, so it is that time uh, of the podcast when I want to hear what you guys have been up to since the last time I spoke to you both. And Because uh, I know that Jamie, obviously I spoke to last week. Chris, I haven't spoken to you for a few weeks. Um, so oh, I, I'm guessing I know one of the things you've been doing. Yeah. Wanking. No. So much. They're dripping from the walls. Big time. So let's start <laughs> with Chris. <laughs> what have you been up to apart from dripping it from the walls? Uh, okay. So I've been really sick. And as we've been kind of mentioning, when you're really sick, you don't necessarily feel like gaming all that much. So what I did is I, I finished watching Peacemaker quality. Really, really fucking enjoyed it. Started watching this show called The Outer Outer Range on oh, uh, with, um, Amazon Prime. Josh, Josh Brolin. Brolin. I watched Thanos him do, himself. Um, I watched him do a Hot Ones interview to promote that. That's what yeah. I know about it. It's really it's really good. It's really like I'm I'm pretty hooked. Uh, nice. It's good. Um, but games wise, fellas, would it surprise you for me to say that I've been playing a lot of Elden Ring? No, yeah. that's the that's the one I was talking about. Surprise! 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 I've do been you playing Elden far- Ring. Do you know, like, have you have any sense of how far through that game you are? Or is it? Can you gauge that at this point? By you've the, played a lot, like you've streamed a lot, you've played a lot, like yeah. By, by the by the tracker, it said that I'm on sixteen percent. <laughs> wow! But but I, th- but I think that's wow. like, tro- but that, I think that's like trophy tracking. So that's like okay, uh, right. You know, like that's finishing the game yeah. would be like maybe seventy percent or something. Um, <laughs> I can tell because I find that like a little bit soul destroying when you get into like the progress bar of a game and it says you've done you, you feel like you've played it for like 20 25 hours and it's like you've done 10 percent and I'm just like fuck you game yeah no no I I, I I totally get that and I'm with you for a large part of it but when you're enjoying a game as much as I'm enjoying Elden Ring when you're enjoying a game that is inherently a great game it, it's not a problem right you're like I'll I'll take that um I'm still kind of like, I'm, I'm taking my time with it, fellas. Okay. Like, I'm not rushing through it. Um, so I've, I've completely finished the kind of first little map area and I'm making inroads in two separate map areas. So uh, Caled, which is like a hellscape kind of area, and then Lernia of the Lakes, which is like misty and there's, there's big fucking lobsters killing you and shit. It's cool. It's a good time. It's a fun time. Don't have much to say about it. Like, I'm sure... You know, when, when I get back to streaming, I, I get my health up. 
and I get back to stream because obviously I, I can't fucking stream like this with the voice and my energy. Hello, levels. ladies and gentlemen. Maybe it's a niche that I can get into. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Um, but like just taking it easy. Once I get back into streaming and start going for like actual milestones, I have more to say about that. Other than it's still fucking good. Um, and I can't wait to hear you guys try attempt it at some point. Might just have to buy for you and gift it and, and make you feel like you need to do it. But the I, other I, game, I, I want to play. I do want to play it. Like I, at some point, I do want to get into that. Hey, it's so that world. Oh, good. Wait, anyway. but, uh, can I? Can I? Crit- can I ask a question? Like I don't. I'm not asking you to be critical of it. Yeah. So one thing that struck me about like and, and <laughs> hasn't really resolved for me is a lot of people were saying about how amazing the open world was in Elden Ring and saying how fantastic it is and it's not just um, uh, Dark Souls with like a uh, or like Demon Souls or whatever, but just like oh, more more open. But everything I've seen people play of it, it does <laughs> just seem to be that it's just fighting people in different environments. There's there's not much going on in the way of an open world outside of. Now fight this guy. Now fight that guy. Yeah, is that, like is that true to the what you've played, or is there more going on, or like it, it, it's hard to kind of pinpoint on it. I would I would say this right. I think it's very easy to kind of get caught up in the hyperbole of saying like, oh, it's not just Dark Souls in an open world. Uh, fucking guess what? It's Dark Souls in an open world. <laughs> okay, it's literally an open world where ninety eight percent of the things you encounter want to destroy you. And they can destroy you in like two hits. Not careful. But the the difference is the kind of sense of wonder and discovery and the care and craft put into that world. It's it's no bland world by any means. And what what you what you're effectively doing by playing that game is you are you're going on a grand adventure in a world that you're not supposed to be. And right. it it fucking nails that aspect of it. And not only does it nail it but it does it so well that it elevates it to the next level, which is where a lot of people are saying, oh, it's more than some of its parts. Like it is a little bit esoteric and hard to put your finger on why it kind of just gels as well as it does. Um, I think when you're watching people kind of play the game, whether you're watching it on Twitch or highlights on YouTube, probably what happens is people trying to find goals of what they need to do. And it's like, Go for this boss, go for that boss, achieve this, achieve that. More so than just like getting lost in a world and seeing the next encounter that fucking happens, right? Um, It's a lot less open world, let's say, than what Red Dead Redemption would be, where it's like a lot of thematic story beats and NPCs and kind of stories unfolding. Those stories are there, but they're very minimalized because at the core of it, it's a fucking Dark Souls game. Everything wants to kill you you have to kill everything. Like, that's just how okay. it is. Um, but there's something... All I'm in trying be- to say is, this- when I leave my house and I walk for two miles, things happen, <laughs> you know, either side as I'm walking down the road. And- I, I can, okay, I can guarantee you this. If you're playing Elden Ring, you will not come across someone who's been bitten by a snake and needs it sucked out and then five <laughs> minutes later go somewhere else and there's someone there who's been bitten by a snake and needs to suck the venom out. That didn't happen, Okay. That never Multiple. happened. Yes, it, it, yes, it did. It did. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely had in uh, Red Dead Redemption Two. I met this. I met a guy who was like, I had to shoot bottles or something with him. I accidentally shot him, and we ended up having a gunfight. I killed him. <laughs> I met him again, the exact same man, uh, about forty-five minutes later, and he was like, 
we're going to shoot bottles. And I was like, I killed you, dude. <laughs> like, how are you alive again? Man, nonsense. You had a stroke. You forgot. You reloaded your save. You didn't realize it's It's an easy mistake to make. I get it. This, <laughs> this is where, this is where, video game right here. So. This is where Jamie reveals himself to be a revisionist. Uh, that's fine. No, <laughs> see, this is like, I'm like the Johnny pro Johnny Depp commenters, but for Red Dead Redemption 2 instead. <laughs> yeah. yeah enough, and I can see through Jonesy's lies. But uh, Jamie, as I was giving that kind of like explanation to Jonesy about kind of where the interest in Elden Ring exists between what people say and what it is, you, you were kind of, you, you were putting some interesting faces. Well, I, what, what did you think of that kind of? No, you could, again, it's just, I think it's because it's still a curiosity for me because it's one of those things that I've heard a lot about and read a lot about but never experienced. And you can point to other things. You can talk talk about Red Dead Redemption 2 like you did and people at the time were obviously talking about Breath of the Wild. But there is still something there that it's like a a je ne sais quoi where I have to go from, you know, the question (laughs) Jonesy originally posed and, you know, that version of an open world, which was entirely plausible, to what some have described as the best open world of all time, that's one of those you have to see it to believe it kind of things, and I haven't seen it. So it's just about trying to, you know, I'm trying to take in different voices and form an opinion. I will say this, though. As much as I love it, and it's funny because we've got a script written on this exact kind of topic that hopefully we'll see the lights there at some point, but I still think Breath of the Wild is a better or a better open world and still the best open world. Hmm. It's got the Simpsons did it first element going for it. In a, in a way, but also it's not Dark Souls open world, whereas Elden Ring is Dark Souls open world. Yeah. But it does feel like re- reductive to kind of say that though. Yeah. Like Marmite, yeah. man. You just got to try it and see if you like it or not. But like le- legitimately, I think uh, even if we just do a stream of you guys just trying it out and getting your your kind of like first hour reactions or something. It would be quite interesting. But anyway, move on as we must. And uh, I've only played one other thing and it might surprise you. I've gone back to Metroid Dread. Ah. Now, why is this? Did you finish it first time around? I didn't know. Right, I'll tell you okay. why he's gone back to it. I'm I got to, I got why. to like. He was lying in bed and he thought, "How can I play a game without having to move?" And he was like, <laughs> "The Switch." Jonesy's absolutely fucking nailed it, and that's exactly what it was. It was me dying in bed, thinking, <laughs> "What's going on here?" Um, yeah, I, I got to like about eighty percent of it. So, I at the time I was actively playing it, and so were you, Jamie. I got mm. to the point just before the quote unquote Flappy Bird. Boss that you were talking about. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, God, great um, fun. Right, so, so you know, like, that's towards the end. That's, like, maybe three bosses from the end or whatever it was, two main bosses from the end. Um, but, yeah, I have now finished it. So I finished oh, cool. the game this year. Nice. I love it. While also playing Elden Ring. So there you go. Making um, progress. Yeah. Uh, Metro Dread, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, word. Like, I, I think my sentiment hasn't changed where, like, that initial burst of it was like, this is fucking good. It's a solid game. It It's peak Metroidvania. But then as you go on, it's like, no, 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 it's not peak Metroidvania at all. It's just peak Metroid. And that's warts and all. And towards the end of it, I was like, it, it was a chore. I'll be honest with you. It was, it was a big fucking chore to just see it through. But I was like, I, I'm like, at the second last boss, I might as well just fucking go for it. And I didn't enjoy finishing that game and that's a, a damning like wow. right like the story goes places 
especially if you're a fan of like Samus and Metroid, it's it's interesting. But like, whatever. I yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of like the Metroid series, and I I don't think the story went that particularly many places either. Did you like, finish it, Jonesy? I can't remember. I did. Yeah, yeah. I actually um, finished it first. <clears throat> oh, yeah, right. I'd, yeah. I I think I had a bit of a weird take in that I thought the the EMIs or the Emmys, what they're called, I think they almost made that game. I think without them, that game is repetitive, uh, like kind of boring. The bosses are just weird. Like but, but at the same animals, time, the Emmys so. themselves were repetitive. After, like after you do defeat two of the Emmys, you're like, I got I got to do five more of these, six then, more of these. Like, but obviously, wow. then they do that thing of like going, oh, now you don't have to fight them, and then they sort of reintroduce, and then they do different. They try and mix it up a bit, and then. My favorite thing that Metroid Dread does is when the entire um, the entirety of the world starts to fall apart, and you go to places you've been before, and they're different. And I thought that was really cool, yeah. and I liked. I actually thought that was the strongest play for the redesign of levels that you've been through before. But it was it was not enough of that. I've, it was too samey. Apart from that, yeah, I've, I've got a gaming confession with this. I've realised that I, I I just don't like backtracking in games. Okay, it is annoying as hell, and it? it can be so annoying. Mm. Especially when you when you've got a, like a bit of a an OCD up to you about like game collecting and this that the other, and it's like, do I really need to like travel back to five biomes to the left with all the loading screens just to get like five more missiles when I've got like 150 missile capacity already? Like, no, but I kind of want to do it, and I'm resentful for that fact. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was totally yeah one thing that I thought Metroid Dread didn't handle particularly <coughs> well is that I almost feel like, and maybe this is me wanting games to pander to us a bit more than they actually should, but it feels like part of the flow of a Metroidvania-style game should be creating these almost plateaus where the player is essentially being told indirectly by the game, hey, here's now your opportunity to use the abilities or the weapons or the items that you've gained since last time to explore an area that was uh, previously inexplorable or access areas that were previously unaccessible and get those new items. And Metroid Dread had this kind of a pace to it that on one hand kept things ticking over really nicely in terms of the speed at which you arrived at new areas and the speed at which the environments changed and the speed at which you encountered new enemies and so on and so forth, but also felt like it never really created that plateau So the, to the point where every time I felt like I wanted to take it upon myself to go backwards, which, like you said, Chris, would only ever result in missiles most of the yeah. time, which yeah. I, I, I felt like I had more than enough missiles to finish that game by the end of it, but there we go. But it felt like I was actively doing the reverse of what the game wanted me to do at that point. And I'd have to like remember where I go and what point I have to go back up to. And this elevator leads to that place and I go back there. And half the time I would backtrack and get to a place that I thought I could now access and something else would have changed or shifted in such a way which made that inaccessible now. So Yeah, so you, I, you, you spent like 10 minutes watching loading screens, whatever, just to get there to realize... Yeah, can't do anything there, about it. there's a thing towards the end of the game, Chris. You, your memory of it will be fresher than mine. But it's like you go back to a really early area, and you're like, "Oh yeah, awesome! I'm gonna ravage this area for missiles of that." And it's like all frozen or something, and there's still loads of places you can't go. And I was yes. like, yeah. "Yeah, like I thought this was gonna be my opportunity to go Metroidvania on this shit, but can't quite." Yeah, to to be fair, that that portion of the game, the pacing of it from getting you like point A to point B is a lot swifter. It does kind of funnel you a lot more yeah. than just kind of saying like, oh yeah, you can go and fuck around here. And I was like, not really. But but like, I, I kind of had this issue with Jedi Fallen Order 
which is going to be topical soon, I guess, when we find out about the sequel. Um, but it, it was almost like you're forcing me to leave this planet, but I'm I'm looking at the amount of stuff that I've actually done on this planet, and it's like twenty percent. Mm. And it's like I look at them, and it's like I can't be fucking on. <laughs> like, you want me to come back here and do the other eighty? Fuck off! Like there is I, I, there is a th- weird thing there, there isn't uh, there where you you look at the percentage and you go if it's seventy five percent you're like oh, okay I've made a really good indent into how much I've got yeah, to yeah. do to progress through this stage twenty five percent left I can I, that I can fathom that if you leave an area to move on and you've done twenty percent it's just like it and you're you're like I can't no this is just too yeah. much no, to no, do. it's a it's a fine line right as well because if you do seventy five percent you leave the area and that to go back to that twenty five percent is just as we said, missile capacity, then fuck it. It's not fucking worth it. Yeah. But if there's like proper, meaningful, oh shit in that 25%, then yeah, by all means. It's like, it's a balancing act. But anyway, that, that's me, fellas. I mean, not, not much to talk about, even though we spoke about mm-hmm. my section for quite a while. But I missed you guys, and I just want to talk to you and fuck up my voice even more than <laughs> it is. As you can tell, it's already on a fucking downward slope. Well, we uh, Jamie, give Chris a little rest and uh, tell us what you've been up to for the last well, week. Well, I, I don't have super, that much to report on, to be honest. I, I did catch a movie this week that I've been looking forward to uh, for a little while now, which is The Northman, um, which is Robert Egger's new Viking epic, which um, is pretty much what it says in the tin. It's like a big epic action movie directed by Robert Eggers. So, you know, all the kind of... <laughs> Surreal, uh, mystical shit that you expect to come with that. Um, it was, in some respects, exactly the film I thought it would be, and in other respects, not at all. Um, I remember reading some reviews that were like made it sound a lot more cut and dry. Like, there's a review on the side of a bus that's going around London at the moment that calls it like this generation's Gladiator. It's not. Um, <laughs> it's far less conventional and far more weird than Gladiator. Um, and also not as focused on big action set pieces. Like, there are a couple, but it's more about, like, instances of action or instances of extreme violence. Um, right. But it's still great fun. It is, you know, fundamentally just a two-hour-long revenge action movie set, like, in the Viking era, um, with filled, filled with decapitations and disembowelings and all that kind of stuff. Um uh, and like freaky performances by people like Willem Dafoe and weird hallucinogenic sequences and occasionally very literal, you know, representations of things like, you know, not the, the well, like Valkyries and like, you know, family trees and like it messes with a lot of that stuff really kind of feeds into the, the Viking <laughs> belief systems and, you know, how much emphasis they put on like fate and destiny and all that stuff and how deeply they you know, they all bought into those uh, belief systems. Um, definitely uh, worth a watch, if that sounds like your cup of tea. Yeah, um, I want to see it. So many movies I want to see, that's just like, yeah, to find the time, man. Like exactly. The, the, the Cage one, um, that one that's like everything everywhere all at once. Yes, that's coming out sick. very soon here in the UK. I know yeah. someone who saw a screening last night and said it was amazing. And then nice. Doctor Strange is like this yeah, week as well, right. so... Yeah, spoiled for choice. Um, Who would have thought coming out of COVID was like, oh, what movie? James James <laughs> Ennett? James Bond? Okay, yeah. yeah. Waiting exactly. for years just to like get a release date, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, now it's like, actually, boys, just p- pump the brakes a little bit, okay? Like, <laughs> Yeah, please, let me catch up. 
Yeah, exactly. It's, I, I find it exhausting how quickly they go from like cinema to on the tel- onto the TV now. Like I'm like, it's on Disney Plus before I've even realised it was like yeah. finishing at the cinema. Suddenly it's ready to watch. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I mean, some, some, sometimes that works out though, right? Like, because you're like, sure. I didn't need to see this in the cinema. So. I, I'm a big cinema sort of like, person i love going to the cinema i love okay but jones you like for instance it's, it's kill it's dying it's dying okay. on his ass right now. no I, i'm with you like so. i love the cinema like it's a top experience but for instance i wanted to go see death on the nile did i need to see it in the cinema no but did i watch it on disney plus yes yeah, am i glad that i didn't am i glad that i didn't pay money to go watch it in the cinema yes like it's, no, it's the game not. pass I'm effects but of movies I'm sad you didn't. I want you to go make you make you spend your money there to keep the cinemas open, keep them alive. But yeah, no, it's it's not going to happen. They're gonna they're all going to be gone yeah. really soon. But there, yeah. there are still films that I wish I'd seen in the cinema that I've almost been putting off watching at home because I almost kicking myself for not like I still haven't seen June yet because I'm like right. I should okay. have seen that at the cinema. Ma- what was I Matrix thinking? for me? I'm so glad I saw the Matrix. Not to you know rub salt in the wounds, Chris, but I'm see, glad see. I can die. And like I can turn to the the loved one on my deathbed and say, I saw a Matrix film in <laughs> nah, the mate, cinema. Nah, because you're gonna die alone. So, well, wow, okay, ouch. I'll record a voice note. <laughs> See, I'm. So I, oh wait, no, I'm, Jamie, I, J- Jonesy and I will be there on your deathbed, buddy. We'll Don't worry. A, a yeah. bit of a threesome while you die. Okay, Nintendo we'll, Switch we'll in hand. There. Already have been dead for fifteen years. Our uh, our, our dried out husk corpses will be there on your bed, just cuddling you. But nice. I, so I actually liked watching the Batman at home. I don't feel like that I needed to see that in a cinema. I enjoyed it. Like you know, I, I didn't think it was without fault, but I think that was quite a good uh, like sitting at home late night movie with some like. I think there's elements of that movie that you miss not watching in the like the, oh, the, the whole chase possible. sequence with the Batmobile is like. When that engine oh. kicks in with that fucking sound system, it's like, oh. No, for oh, me, it's, for me, yeah, it's the, yeah. uh, the, I know they used it in all the trailers, but it's, that, it's still the upside down shot, like, oh, from, yeah. from uh, Penguin's perspective. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, his, when his car's flipped and he can see Batman. Yeah. yeah. No, I, it's, it's funny, of course, because you don't know what you, what you have missed from the cinema experience. There was nothing True, that jumped yeah. out at me, but for sure, like, those experiences, I'm sure, were, were, were better yeah. um, on the, the big screen. Bad films have been made good by the... But I, I still remember, like, I came out of the, a screening of Interstellar thinking I just watched, like, one of the fucking best films I've ever seen in my life. That's and a I've, cool movie. Yeah, come on, it's yeah. not a bad film. It's not... Okay, it's not a bad film, but I've rewatched it since and gone like, oh, okay, yeah. But I specifically <laughs> remember the, the scene where... Um, I won't say who's doing what, just in case they're... Because they're oh, all twists. Oh, dude, it's... it's, it's but, yeah, but there's, 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 there's also one big twist. It's like saying, oh, I'm not no going to say what Bruce Willis is in the fucking Sixth Sense. Well, I, think don't there, I think there are a lot of people who don't know the twist in Interstellar and who it involves. And I was about to say his name for no reason. Fine. Because I don't right. need to say that actor's name. All I'll say is that it's when they're trying to basically initiate the docking procedure from their smaller ship to a bigger ship, but the bigger ship is spinning, so they have to match their rotation uh, oh, to yeah. the same That's... speed as the ship they're docking to. And it's like two connectors, almost like two plugs that have to make contact. And it's when it, it's going full Hans Zimmer, full Chris Nolan. You're sat in the cinema, and the whole experience is just screaming at you. And I, I think I got an erection. Wow. Yeah, that was that was pretty that was pretty sick. I um I visually I thought Interstellar was was fantastic as well. Like some of those visuals, which I think in the because I I think I saw it in um what do you IMAX. call it IMAX. IMAX that's the yeah. one and that was yeah. yeah it was incredible to yeah, see. Yeah, I saw it in IMAX I mean, as well, and and it was one of those movies where I came out of the cinema thinking that was fucking amazing, 
I loved it. I never want to watch that movie again. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I have since softened and I do want to watch it again on TV. But like it's taken a good number of years. Plus, like those memories for you both will be a bit of a bummer this summer when the definitive IMAX experience is released to the masses in the UK, US, and Canada. Have you no, have you heard it? the news? Uh, what is it? Jeff Keighley has signed a deal with IMAX, and um, the two his two things, uh, Gamescom opening night live and the Summer Games Fest opening event, are both going to be shown at select IMAX screenings. Wow. Should we do it? Should we do it? In the US. I thought about mentioning it, but I thought, is there anything sadder than going to an IMAX screening of a series of adverts? <laughs> that's that's so true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yes, cool. I, I believe they announced that sort of partnership today because he's confirmed all the dates for... World yeah. premiere. And I think it's also conveniently, um, the opening night of Summer Games Fest is like a few days before the Xbox E3 thing. So we're going to get them nice and close together, which is yeah. at least two quick hits of gaming news to experience in about a month's time. Yeah, it'll be good. Um, yeah. Uh, the only thing I was going to say is that I also, um, I was looking for another kind of like survivally adventure kind of game to play because I like sometimes having stuff like that on the go in the background, like, in the over the past year i've played a lot of things like minecraft and played shitloads of stardew valley again and uh this week despite actually purchasing satisfactory um and initially intending to jump into that for the first time we've i found out that neither myself nor my good friend and yours uh steph murphy had ever played a moment of terraria so we're just fucking playing that yeah, and it's yeah. it's terraria i mean expand I mean, like, it's basically, it feels like a game that started life as a 2D Minecraft and then realized over the course of its lifespan, actually, there's a platform here to be something wildly different. Um, right. And so it seems like the further you dig into it, the more ways it tries to differentiate itself from other survival games. Uh, like, there's a kind of more NPC-driven, village kind of aspect where basically random NPCs will show up to your town and you can build them places to live and they can stay there and you can use them to your advantage. There's a huge emphasis on big boss fights that kind of act as like the milestones through your journey and all about gearing up and getting weapons and armor to fight those bosses. But it's not just about like iron armor and iron sword. It's like you've got fucking guns and jetpacks and all kinds of like mad shit. It's also got uh, the mining system is, I guess, functionally similar to Minecraft, but it's really awesome because obviously everything's 2D. Um, so, and you've got a map that shows you everything in your entire like generated world. And so when you've been digging for, you know, a few hours and exploring off into different caves, you get this awesome, like, basically cross-section, and it's like an ant farm that you've created. And <laughs> that's a really cool effect that I wanted to shout out. Um, nice. So yeah, Terraria. It's probably costs like nothing nowadays. It's on every platform <laughs> ever, and everyone's probably played it at least once, but here I am, crossing it off the list. I haven't, mate, so there you go. Oh, there you so go. I'm, I'm going to put that out there. Uh, is that you? Is that you for the last... Uh week or so big time yes i'm just otherwise trying to clear up that backlog and make the way for well i was about to say new releases but we don't fucking have any for like two months i don't know Good. three months like, yeah true come on uh, come on come on Alice. elden ring that's what you've got to get on next. Uh, so I, i'm like jamie i'm trying to backlog at the moment i actually um i've, I've delved into the other day cyberpunk for the first time properly oh since, wow uh, man like the, the, the updates are what kind of like bring me back so like an on on my backlog list 
Cyberpunk because of update. Um, Tifu update. Yeah. Yep. Um, Vampire Survivors update. Yeah. Like you know, uh, Risk of Rain two update or rather like DLC expansion. But yeah, don't hold me to this, Chris. But assuming nothing changes and there's no crazy surprise releases, July. What Elden? Mm, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm I'm down, down for it. Okay, we, we could do some co-op. Yeah, exactly. We've also means uh, we got two months, like a two month buffer to rope Jonesy in as well, and then we can turn this into <laughs> content somehow. I like it. Good. Maybe we'll see. Um, so while I didn't play much this week, um, I just played a little bit of Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga. Um, mainly because it was the fourth of May, which obviously fourth of May, you know, Star Wars Day. Um, so I thought. I should probably play a little bit more um, of that game. And I like how you say 4th of May. May 4th, sorry. May the like, 4th. That's May why fourth, it's Star Wars. They just fucking... Might not be oh, British do, enough. Do you not but... remember when Yoda says 4th of May be with you? 4th <laughs> of May be with you. Um, but I thought, you know, I should. And I've I actually watched uh, Phantom Menace, Attack okay. of the Clones, and I started watching Revenge of the Sith like over the last few days as well. Oh, so I was like, okay. Which is, and what I wanted to do with like Skywalker Saga was I wanted to give it a fair shake because the issue that I've talked about and one of the reasons I'm only mentioning it now because I don't want to bore people um, is I felt like maybe I was a little bit too short with it and I was a little bit too um, uh, curt with how I was sort of saying, hey, look, mm. this game is too, it's far too much of a run to this point, do this, run to this point, do that. So I thought I, would, I should give it some um, more play. So I played through on the game, the Attack of the Clones um, level, or however you want to frame it, so like basically that entire movie, um, uh, to see if it sort of played out the same as um, Phantom Menace did or whether it was actually uh, felt a little bit better. What's kind of weird was because I, I actually then watched Attack of the Clones just before I finished or I played that level in Skywalker Saga. And in some respects, it gave me more appreciation for the game um, <laughs> because they have really done an amazing job of recreating all those points, all those story points, those those plot points in Lego. And that was cool. And I don't want to diminish what they've done in that sense. But it yeah. did also annoyed me just as much as it did before in that some a lot of that game is doing things <laughs> you don't need to do where you go to a world. Like, like for example, when you go and find Anakin's mum in... Shmi. Shmi, right? And she's been kidnapped by the uh, Sam people. Tuscan, Tuscan Raiders. Raiders. Tuscan Raiders, sorry. Um, Both of me. <laughs> uh, you, you effectively fly to a... So in, in Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga, you fly to a planet to go and speak to Watto to find out where she is. But the whole bit where you go to the area where Watto is to talk to him, the whole mission that you do there is you just land there, run, speak to him, run around a little bit, run back to a thing, and then go to the place where Shmi's where your Shmi then lived, which is the moisture farm, yeah, where she married the dude and she lives on a moisture farm. Then you walk through a cavern, which is where the the area is where the Tuscan Raiders are, apparently like 20 metres away from where she lived. You don't do anything in that area. As soon as you get there, there's a cutscene where, because it's a kid's game, you can't see any of this because it's kind of horrible. Anakin just walks into a um, a hut. There's some like comedy where some Tuscan Raiders fall apart they're like you know little Lego yeah. people fall apart they get back together and then you leave and then that's the end of it so there's an entire section of the movie which was like probably i don't know half an hour long or something and was quite important from an emotional thing and anakin's yeah. development and all that 
the game plays it for like some really rubbish laughs and you don't do anything. You talk to one character and you go to two places and it's all over. And I was like, why, why have I even put, why put this in the game? I wonder if that's just because it's like, it's terrible span, game, right? Like no, but it's it's <clears throat> terrible. It's terrible as a game. It's terrible. There's nothing to do. I love that quote there from Josie. It's terrible game. <laughs> it's it's a terrible game. The game's not terrible. It's a terrible part of the game. There isn't the only reason it's there is because it's in the movies, and they obviously need to hit those points, but they don't give you anything to do. So it's almost like why put it here? Why put it in this? If there's nothing, they need to, to make play. the biggest Star Wars game, the biggest Star Wars game ever. And how do you make the biggest one? By fucking adding in random shit that probably doesn't um, need to be there. I wish I, I'd I, played this game because I really want to argue it. I can't argue with James because I haven't played it. But I, it's one of those moments where I wish I'd played <laughs> it so I, just so I can have an argument. Do, do you think that Jonesy's just being very Jonesy about it? Yes, in short. I think they're condensing nine movies down to a game and you're complaining that uh, like a one scene didn't get enough airtime in it. No, no, what I'm saying is, that it, I'm not saying it didn't get enough airtime, I'm saying it shouldn't have even been in it. Like, if you can't, if there's no gameplay element to that, just don't put it in. Like, it, expand some of the other sections that have gameplay and that you want to make into a, an enjoyable experience for the player. Don't just force in um, plot points. Well, I, I can see that. But then you're basically saying across nine movies, <laughs> any sequences or moments that can't adequately be turned into gameplay and would subsequently have to be presented as a cutscene aren't worth including. Just because you didn't like the cutscene doesn't mean it doesn't add value to the story and add value to the pre- representation of the story they're creating. It's it's it adds in some of the worst elements in gaming that I think that you know we know that we don't need. Like go to this location, talk to this person. Go to this. Yeah, but you're doing. We had this conversation last week. It's like we. It's so easy to get reductive about video games like that when you don't like them. Elden Ring is go to this place, find person, kill them, walk back. Like you could do that no, about but, every video game no, of all time. It's the most this stu- game. But this, but I was, I was going to go on to say, but Lego, um, Lego Star Wars. When you get to play elements of that game, it actually can be really fun. Like and and this game does have some really fun sections. And now that I've played more of it, I have enjoyed more of it. Like for example, the section where you're on. You're you're on the uh, the conveyor belts going through the droid factory, and you're playing as Anakin, or you're playing as Padme, and you've got to like. There's some cool platforming there. You get to do some fighting. You get to like. It feels more Lego Star Wars, and it feels cool, and you get to interact with the environment. So you take one section of the movie, which is obviously you know it's fun and it's exciting, it's action packed, but it's not that important in the movie but actually in the game it's a hell of a lot more exciting and enjoyable than it is to do the entire section where anakin his mum dies i was actually so i actually played it co-op with my wife where anakin's mum dies in the in the the game and she literally turned to me and said what happened <laughs> she was like is his mum dead and i said yeah his mum's dead and she was like oh how do how do we know that and i was like i said i think they didn't put it in the game because uh, it's not very like child friendly because he slaughtered an entire village, <laughs> and she was like, "Oh," and it was it was just weird. Having just watched the films, it just felt weird. And it, yeah, you need to play it. Play there you go. Play Elden Ring and play Star Wars. I'm not, I'm but not made of money. I think I've figured out why I've not been enjoying it, and I think I will know when I will enjoy it. Okay, this is gonna. This is my oh, when you when, when the, you when stop the, playing it. No, when you get to the part where the movies aren't shit. No. <laughs> No, not at all. No, so what I think the problem actually because you're what, right, that never happens. Shit, what the wrong never, Rogue One was quality. <laughs> not, yeah, but it's not in this game. It's not no. part of the Skywalker uh, saga. Oh, the it's DLC, not. isn't it? 
I, I think was, they've added some characters like literally this week, but I, I, technically it's not part of the Skywalker saga. But hey, I know so, you know what? Star I, I will defend Star Wars to my grave. It's trash, but I'll defend it. I've, do you know what? Since re-watching a lot of the, the first three, I've enjoyed them a lot more than I did the first time. And it's because I've not taken it seriously and I knew what was coming. And I'm like, let, let, I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is. And it's yeah, not exactly, been as bad. Man. Some of the acting is horrendous. Some of the stuff in it is weird and ridiculous. And some of like this story stuff is kind of crap. But, but on the whole, it's like a fun experience. But I think what's going to happen in this game and people, I haven't finished it, so people out there will be able to comment down below and they'll be able to tell me you're right or you're you're completely wrong. I think they are building a completely open Star Wars world with all of the planets in that system and where you can basically go around, unlock every Star Wars character, go wherever you want and relive your favourite moment, moments from the movies with any character you want from the movies. Yeah. And yeah. that will... So basically, they wanted to create a sandbox. So what I think they've done is they've had to create a campaign as well. And that's where I think it falls down is because the campaign kind of feels rushed and a bit rubbish and I'm just running for location, location, location. But actually in its entirety, when it's all open and when I can visit everywhere and I can be anyone, I think that's where I'll have more fun with it because you can be any of the characters doing any of the things in any environment and just have a laugh and, you know, you can you can recreate some of your favourite um, boss fights, battles, whatever you want to do. Um, with who, what are the characters you want to do? And I think that actually might be kind of cool. Like being Darth Maul, free play, fighting Kylo Ren um, at some point, I think might, yeah. will be fun. Because some of the, they're, they're very well-made games and they feel cool and the fighting's fun and the, well, that's good. So that's what I think they tried to do. And I think that I'm just not there yet. And I think I will enjoy it more the further I go and the more you unlock. Yeah, sure. I know they do have. That's my olive branch. Um, they do have like unique dialogue recorded for like when you're playing co-op, for example, um, character pairings that like aren't meant to be around each other, or like characters that aren't right. meant to have met yet, or character like weird things like that. Like if you put like Han Solo with Kylo Ren and shit, like, they'll have like unique things to say to each other based on who they are. Right. Yeah, that, no, I see, and I think that's where a lot of this is going to f- probably do its best is once you finish the campaigns, you've unlocked all of the worlds and you can replay and you can enjoy like, I want to do that section, I want to do that section, I want to blow up the Death Star again, I want to go and fight Darth Maul again. Like my kids have fought Darth Maul about 15 times because they just love fighting Darth Maul, they think it's <laughs> hilarious and they just keep going back to it and keep fighting him. And Why then do they my, think it's hilarious? They just think Darth Maul's wicked. They love. They think he's evil, and they love him. And my three-year-old is is a psycho. Like he is evil. He always wants to be the bat, the villain. Like always. He he loves like Nightmare Before Christmas is one of his favorite films, and he makes you replay the opening bit with all the different monsters. And he's sad that he doesn't have a monster living under his bed. And I swear to God, he wants to be a Sith. <laughs> he's like. I love Darth Maul. I want to be Darth Maul. Is he a baddie? And I'm like, yeah, he's a baddie. And he's like, I want to be him. <laughs> like. Freaky. Wow. Jonesy's going to get yeah. murdered in his sleep one day. Yeah, I digress. Yeah. Um, one thing I did realise re-watching some of the Star Wars films that I wanted to touch on here, because I know you're a big nerd, Chris. I am. Oh, thanks. Yes, Star I Star Wars, specifically Star Wars nerd. Oh, specifically pa- Star Wars, yeah. Padme. Yeah. I think she's a Sith. Because Anakin kills the Tusken Raiders, tells her that he slaughtered a village of people, men, women and children... And then she nobs him for the first time after that. You're forgetting one key factor, though, Jonesy. <laughs> what? The script was written by George Lucas. <laughs> right. Full stop. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That was just my... Uh, crit- you can take that away, Chris, and you can think about it. Anyway, 
it's time to move on because we can't talk about what we've been playing or not playing for the last week and keep it going. Let me know in the comments down below if you agree with me that Padme is a Sith because I think she's a Sith. Right. Why would you why would you bone someone who just told you they've like murdered a village of people? They're thirsty. Because you because, because, because your entire character arc and everything that drives you and everything that makes you who you are was determined by a man with three chins. <laughs> <laughs> I I said I just thought like I afterwards I was like any women out there? Hang on, but sorry, you watched that. You watched a film that had some of the dialogue that those films in it, and you genuinely thought the same person was writing like hidden motives and secret references in his same scripts. Well, so because he had the whole thing of he said Jar Jar was actually supposed to be a Sith, right? And then everyone hated Jar Jar so much that he he didn't do it or something. That guy has said a lot of shit to cover his uh, tracks. In our, anyway, over I, the I'm, last in our, Let, let's in move our, on. In fellas. our Discord, basically in our Discord, I can't remember who it was. So someone told me about the fact that Jar Jar was supposed to be a Sith, and I I did kind of remember it from before. And I went and watched a video about it, and I was like, ah, interesting. Jar Jar does seem like he's supposed to be a Sith. Um, but and then I watched, and then with that in my mind, when I saw Padme bone him after he killed some kids, I was like, she's. This is like GCSE English when you take the world's worst poem <laughs> and come up with like seventy six different theories about what it means. And if you ask the actual author, they'd be like, I don't know, just said, put, wrote down the words that uh, were in my, uh, yeah. in my head. Just, they just rhymed. Yeah. Yeah. But look, okay, and often what we have to do when we have stories like this is we have to draw a line <laughs> and we have to just give up because we're not going to get anywhere. And someone, or a big group of people that drew a line under something they've done was Square Enix that decided that they were going to sell off $300 million worth in of their Western uh, sort of leaning games. They sold it off to uh, Embracer Group. Um, and they've bought all of that. So uh, should we run through some of the stuff that they've actually bought? Yeah, th- this is kind of like, I don't know. Like, It's not crazy. It's almost like you'd expect this to have happened. But yeah. Let's... But there's layers to it, right? Oh, onions, baby. Mm. Fucking, this, this is donkey all over it. Um, so they have bought for their $300 million, uh, Crystal Dynamics, Idos Montreal, Square Enix Montreal, and a catalogue of IPs. And we're talking Tomb Raider, uh, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane. But they've also bought um, a backlog of more than 50 games. Um, uh, we're also talking about, well, potentially talking about uh, Square Enix Marvel games, Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, but some of those things aren't decided yet or we don't know te- about them yet because there's like agreements and licensing and all sorts of things that might come into play. Um, yeah, this was, so you think this was not surprising, Chris? You thought this was just a matter of time? Yeah, I mean... Um, this is because you want them to focus on like remaking Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, just fucking finish the fucking thing before I die, please. Like at this rate. Christ. Um, no, the, I, I think when, especially when you have something like the absolute failure of Avengers and off the back of that, comparably something a little bit more successful in Guardians of the Galaxy, but it, it didn't meet their expectations. I, I kind of think yeah. that like, you know, maybe the culture clash was too much of like the Japanese way of doing things and then the more Western way of doing things. Kind of like didn't didn't mesh. And by by all means, like it's gonna sound like I'm parroting a lot of kind of like um content creators in space, but it, it holds true and it's something that we kind of spoke about multiple times on the podcast before, but it didn't necessarily seem like Square Enix like knew what to do with these studios. Mm. No, and it, it's, it's funny because when you talk about like Marvel's, like Marvel's Avengers, I think that was obvious that they didn't really know what they were doing with that. Like that 
game just seemed like a, a failure from the get-go. Well, but when you talk about something like Guardians of the Galaxy as a game, I had a lot more love for that. I thought that was the right direction to go in. Um, it's a real shame that it didn't do as well uh, as they hoped it would because um, I think a lot of people, me included, were like, a sequel to this is going to be wicked. But, well, you know. It almost makes you wonder if the whole thing, the relationship that deals the premise of the... Um, you know, the whatever kind of agreement was made between Square Enix and Marvel was almost Square Enix trying to make, you know, one last go of making the Western side of their development arm make sense. Because, like Chris said, like the underperformance, or at least the reported underperformance of IPs like Tomb Raider and Deus Ex was becoming a running joke to the point where, like, you would get tweets. I remember tweets literally a matter of weeks ago when Babylon's Fall absolutely died on its ass, and the tweets were like, oh, I wonder which uh, Western Square Enix release uh, they're going to blame Babylon's Fall's <laughs> failure on. Like, that was the running joke. And, like, maybe the timing of this suggests that Square Enix kind of went all in on Marvel. They got those deals signed and were like, with this budget and this IP, if we can't make these studios and these teams work for us, then nothing will. And clearly, it didn't work. I mean, there are no official numbers out there, but there's one... <laughs> quote-unquote industry analyst who made some headlines with his reporting this week when he claimed that um, between Marvel's Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy, um, the two collectively have said to losses, said to result of, in losses of $200 million in, over the space of two years for Square Enix, which, again, even if like that's mostly Marvel's Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy was like coming close to breaking even or the Game Pass reception seemed positive, I still think you lump those two things in together and were like, yeah, this is a failure. Let's cut our losses and let's just make more Final yeah. Fantasy games. Yeah, because you could almost say it's like it was the same project, right? Like right, Marvel yeah. project. Exactly. Um, but I, I think I'd be surprised if Guardians of the Galaxy didn't turn a, a profit after the uh, Games Pass sale. You'd hope so, because that was a good game. But then also, if they give up on it, then they go back to Deus Ex, Eidos Montreal. So that would be awesome. <laughs> I think one of the one of the problems with a game like Guardians of the Galaxy is you've got to wonder how much that license costs just to make it, in which case, like, did it tur- would it have turned a profit if it was just a uh, you know, a new IP, but because it's linked to that and they're to pay for a license, did it did it stitch them up from that sense? Um, but we should talk briefly about Embracer Group because, do you know what? I'd never heard of them until we um, were going to talk about this story. Uh, they are now becoming, though, a bit of an epic um, sort of parent company because they've got a uh, they've got quite a stable of uh, studios um, underneath them now. So this acquisition is going to take them, uh, will add, sorry, into them uh, 1,100 employees across three studios, eight locations around the world. Um, but Embracer also already own uh, THQ Nordic, Cock Media, Deep Silver, Saber Interactive and Gearbox Software. Um, so they've actually got about 124 internal game development studios. They've also got, I understand, um, uh, other media things as well. So they've got like, they do like board games and like other PC shit and all sorts of companies. They've got 850 franchises under um, Embracer yeah. Group in total. Yeah. They, which is pretty like epic. They very quietly became like the ultimate sort of like figurehead in this you know, the, the whole acquisition movement that's going on. And I know it's like the Sonys and Microsofts that make the headline, but it's like holding companies and parent companies like this that are just doing ridiculous numbers that are, are actually kind of like the face of that movement secretly. Yeah. And also like almost focusing on like the, the double A kind of development. Yeah. Although like you look at the prices, like not to kind of jump the gun this, Jonesy, but like to pick one out, for example, 
And this just makes the price that Square Enix have sold these studios and the IP for kind of crazy. Um, Embracer paid $1.4 billion for Gearbox. Gearbox, of course, most famous for continuing to make Borderlands. And I know Gearbox have a publishing arm and they do do stuff like there was that Tribes of Midgard and all that, those kind of bits and pieces. But like, still like 1.4 billion for Gearbox compared to 300 million for the likes of Crystal Dynamics and Idos Montreal and Tomb Raider and Deus Ex. Like, it does but, kind but, of seem like Square Enix were just like, we've got to fucking cut our losses. Yeah, Jamie, get Jamie the, the, next, the next one on the note is more kind of right. damning. When um, they bought Saber Interactive uh, Developers World War Z and the Witcher 3 port for, you know, $525 million. So right. you're getting like, yeah. a bigger studio, like better studios. The, the one thing that um, I can't remember who said on Twitter, um, I don't think it was Skill Up, it might have been Jeff Grubb, but everyone was saying, like, oh, why didn't Microsoft just buy them? Mm. Right. But then, you know, especially because it was so cheap. You know, cheap, quote unquote, three hundred fucking dollars. Um, yeah. But the point was saying this: like taking on one thousand one hundred employees. That's that in itself is a very big logistical hurdle sure. that a lot of companies might not want to wanted to take on. So maybe the discounted price was almost saying like it's it's a big ask for someone to kind of like take over all of it. Yeah. And there was another element of also just very much what I understand to be a Japanese kind of sentiment of like, we're done with it. We just want to get rid of it any which way. So yeah, fucking give, give I, me a dollar, give me 300 million, you know, like just take it. I, I also think, and I don't know if you guys agree with me on this, but I also think that there's more than meets the eye to the IPs in particular that have been highlighted, including this deal. I think Tomb Raider is obviously a big deal and a new well-received Tomb Raider can theoretically sell very well. I understand the games in that trilogy, although they didn't meet expectations, did still sell pretty well from like an objective perspective, not helped by the fact that Shadow of the Tomb Raider kind of like was a bit of a dud and Rise of the Tomb Raider had the timed exclusivity thing that fucked it a little bit. But I think that Deus Ex, Thief and Legacy of Kane are those classic examples of like, they're going to be popular on Twitter. They're going to be popular on Reddit. They're not going to shift millions of units. And I think that's yeah. also a part of this that people overlook. People are like, oh my God, Legacy of King could come back. It's like, there's a reason shit like that goes away to begin with. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Like the life cycle of the titles and the IPs and whether or not they're valuable or not versus how much these companies are going to cost um, Embracer Group to like, you know, just keep operating. It's no surprise, for example, that not included in the deal, um, Life is Strange, Outriders and Just Cause, you know, IPs that are have still got more life in them and maybe they're not as like social media friendly, but they're going to make money. Like Outriders has just um, dropped another uh, DLC, I believe. Life is Strange has obviously just had another installment. Um, just Cause is the, uh, you know, game that sort of will sort of keep plugging away, keep having um, um, sequels. So I, I think that, you know, kind of makes sense because it actually some of these, some of the IPs they have bought are almost like maybe poison pills at this point. Like Tomb Raider, for example, I think it's actually quite, it's probably quite daunting to sort of say we're going to put out a new Tomb Raider game and you don't know how that's going to fly given how not great Tomb Raider has done, you know, in the past sort of um, few iterations. But I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a weird one, but like we said, they haven't sold off all of their Western um, properties because like I said, Life Strange Outrider is just cause. Um but yeah, so I think that's um, it's it's sad in a way 
I think. Do you guys think it is sad in a way? I don't think. I don't, no, I don't personally think so. don't think it's sad. I, 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 I think I it's th- positive, if anything. Yeah, I think there is an argument to be made, as has already been made in some corners of the internet, that like, for as much as it was a meme, I think Square Enix did kind of give these developers and these IPs a bit of a cold shoulder in recent years, and I think that. In some respects, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether or not they were marketed and promoted correctly, whether or not enough time or money was put into those endeavours. Like, it will be interesting to see these IPs and these developers, these studios, in the hands of a company that now have a big financial incentive to do right by those games and to give them a platform to come back in a big way. And if that's ultimately what happens with this... Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and so on and so forth, so on and so forth, continue to be or return to being relevant franchises with big AAA additions to the series, you know, and it's and everyone's happy. Then this is a positive thing. Square Enix don't have to make games they don't want to make anymore, and fans of these series get games they want to play. I, do you know what? I, by saying it makes me a bit sad, it's because you know, in a strange, if I can use an analogy, Square, not even an analogy, like a, a similar company. Square Enix to me feel a bit like Ubisoft and the idea of taking away Tomb Raider and Deus Ex from Square feel a bit like taking away Assassin's Creed and Far Cry from Ubi. Even if you said, oh, they've gone to another company that let's say Microsoft bought Assassin's Creed and bought uh, Far Cry and it's like, oh, they're going to do new stuff. They're going to re-release games. They're going to go back to the glory days. It would make me feel a little bit sad that Ubisoft have like lost those two big IPs, even if they didn't want them anymore in the way that's not really that though is it no but that's i kind of i don't know i well, associate i especially tomb raider these days like you know you think of square i think of i think of tomb raider i think of like deus ex and stuff and them losing that makes me just kind of go like can i can oh. i can, can i flip it for you in, in, in oh. another direction but still use yeah, ubisoft sure. what if yeah, instead of, of talking about assassin's creed or far cry like big relevant you know, modern franchises that are still going to this day what if ubisoft put their hands up and admitted that they didn't have any ideas for a new direction for Prince of Persia, and they didn't have any interest in doing a new Prince of Persia, and as a series that hasn't had a new entry in just about as long, if not longer than something like, for example, Legacy of Kane, they sold off Prince of Persia to someone that would make a new one. How would you feel then? That would, I, do you know what? That would also make me sad, Jamie. Um, okay, fair enough. I, because as a super Prince of Persia sort of like lover, I would, I would, I would want Ubisoft to be able to make that game and make it properly. And it's great that you mentioned Prince of Persia <laughs> and Ubisoft. I didn't even do that on purpose. Ubisoft Montreal have taken <laughs> over Prince of Persia: Sands of Time remake, uh, which was the remake which was. I mean, okay, I'm not. I know remakes the in the last few years have not been great. I'm not going to say it was one of the worst looking remakes we've seen because there have been some doozies. But the uh, some of the some of the it wasn't leaked, was it? It wasn't even like pre-alpha. Or they said it was maybe pre-alpha. They said it was very early stuff. But some of the footage we saw for the Sands of Time remake looked so trash. It had to be like not just delayed. It had to be stripped from the studio that were making it and given to someone else <laughs> because it was goddamn awful. Um, I'm, so I'm trying to, I'm, I can't even remember the dates specifically, so I'm going to quickly, because I know that Jamie would have put them in here. Oh, there we go. So um, the Sands Time remake was supposed to come out originally in September of 2020, um, which is, you know, it's quite a long no, time ago. So that now. was when it was announced. My- oh, sorry, announced, announced. But it was, uh, so it's coming out in uh, January of 2021, my mistake. Um, 
but yeah, we had that footage that was released where we had, you know, the old school sort of, it was, I think it was a similar to the old school trailer of Prince of Persia where the prince is running along the walls and he's like jumping around yeah. with the dagger and stuff. And it looked like he had some melty, horrible face and the textures well, were awful. Yeah, it looked like a mobile game, right? Like that was the big kind of takeaway from it. It was like, why are they yes. making this look like a mobile game? It looked, <laughs> it. I remember look, watching it and almost wanting to like cry a little bit and just saying like, <laughs> Is this a joke? Like, is, are they, is this some sort of like weird... Look how they massacred my boy. Well, because it seems so obvious that all they had to do was make it look good. But now you look at like remakes that have come out more recently, you know, sort of like uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto and um, some of the other ones, they don't haven't looked that great either. So maybe, maybe I thought it was easier to remake a game than it actually is. So there you go. Especially some of these older ones. That. But when you hear remake, you think it's going to be good, right? You don't think it's going to be trash. That's one well, thing. I mean, I think it's going to look. Well, no, actually, no. When I hear remake, I think they're remaking the game. I don't have any expectations about whether or not it'll be good. No, but what I mean is, when if they're remaking it, there's no reason it won't look good. If you remaster it, you're still limited by right. it, but the way the game was made, sure. you can only reskin like, it so far. But if you're yeah. going to remake it from the ground up, it like, surely I guess it if, look if good. you look at like Demon Souls as a remake, sure, yeah, like, it's go. still potentially like, one of the best looking games out there yeah like once you use the word remake you're essentially saying like hey we're going to adhere to the modern standards of like where visuals are at yeah Yeah. i mean you can just look at some of the the modern remakes that have been amazing like the resident evil remakes or as you said um look at the remakes like mafia one and things like that they were incredible they were they did everything we wanted them to do and now you have this uh, prince of persia that was in development by um ubisoft uh pune i think it was in ubisoft mumbai um and how bad it looked. And I think it did make people think, like, what is going on? Who the hell have they given this to, to make this? Because it, it's... I Dude. Personally, I think they tried to phone it in. I think they thought that they could make a buck out of it without putting too much You, you say that, Jonesy, but when, when it was announced in 2020, it was in development for two and a half years up to that point. But like, what what is, these, what I don't know these, what that... What are these guys been doing? I don't know what development means. I don't know what that means. I can that tell mean, you what it means. Fucking a, not doing work. I had a meeting <laughs> about Watching it. YouTube videos all day. They, they were going to the same place as uh, Hassan Karaman about how to do yeah, work exactly. games. Like, fucking hell, like, what have you been doing? And then you miss your release date, and then a year later than your release date, you're like, yeah, we're just going to, it's not really working out, we're going to palm it off to another fucking studio. Like, surely at some point you just say, fellas, we're cutting our losses here. Fucking kill the bird. Yes, you would hope so. Honestly, yeah, at some point, like... I wonder at what point there's like a line in the graph where they're like, we've spent so much money on this, we can't afford to cancel it. We have to see this that's, through. That's probably why we're seeing what we're seeing, right? I, yeah. I do think this could be one of the best redemption stories um, since the, well, it wasn't announced, but since God of War um, quite famously now was apparently looked at and said, no, this is this is terrible. You can't put this game out. And then they remade it and made one of the best games that came yeah. out. In the but the nice thing about God of War is like, that was internal. Like that was Sony employees doing Sony employees yes. to me. Like we've got to go back to the drawing board here. Ubisoft were like, yeah, guys, here's the trailer. Everyone get excited and get your pre-orders in for the sands of time. And everyone was like... Yeah. No, hey, but, but also, uh, like, you're talking about a, a new entry and a new direction of a venerable series, whereas this, you're talking about, like, a, a remake of the first one. It should be easy. It should yes. be easier. It should and, be easier. And also, like, going yeah. back to the blueprints the there. So, sorry, Jamie, like, no, yeah, yeah. To, to, to go on a point that you, we've mentioned multiple times for different games on this podcast, especially when talking about, like, Avengers, like, the blueprint is there and you fuck up. Anyway, 
bike. <laughs> yeah. Also, because like again, going back to the mafia story at the, earlier on in the podcast, like that is another example of what people assume is a growing trend. How many times, how often it comes to fruition varies. Of like, is this remake being used as a way to test the popularity of the series ahead of? something else being greenlit and you know you had the thing where like crisis was remade and then crisis 4 was greenlit and then mafia was remade now a new mafia has been greenlit like that kind of shit is happening like imagine dropping the ball on your like you know your fucking litmus test for whether or not you're going to continue a franchise that still has massive like you know brand recognition and appeal is I think see I I that's why I think they tried to phone it in. They thought that what they could do was they could play on the nostalgia thing. They thought they could play on the the good name of the prince, and they thought what they could do is get it made on the cheap. It's a remake. It'll be easy. Like that, we don't even have to put much money into it. They thought they would get all that done. It would come out. They would it would sell, and because they'd spent nothing on it, they would make a load of money, and then they could probably reintroduce the series like a new trilogy or something like that. But because of the shit show that it has been, because of the terrible de- development, because of how long it's taken and because of how trash the game looked when they sort of got released to fans, it is now being taken back into Ubisoft Montreal, the very birthplace of the Epic Sands of Time trilogy, is according to the uh, the quote that the company released on um, Tuesday. But I, for one, think that this might be, this is what I'm saying, I think it might be a great redemption arc because it was trash. They gave it to a different studio. Now they're taking it back. Now they're going to make it even better Um I think that game remade will will you know be just fine, um, and then I think it will probably lead the way to a new Prince of Persia game. Outright, I mean, one enjoy. one thing that you would imagine is if you're going to operate this openly and this publicly with regards to how you're handling this project, when you come back, it's got to be right. If we ever see this again, and there is still an if there, then it has to look good. You would think, fucking hell. <laughs> you really would hope. One thing which is kind of insane to think. So the game was slated for release originally January 21. They then pushed that back. The last release date we had for it was March of 23. Okay. But we're assuming that that's now gone because they've got to put it back to, you know, the new studio and they've got to yeah. let them obviously see whatever's wrong with it and, and do whatever they're going to do with it. Which then, if you then talk, so I don't, I don't know when it's going to come out, but even let's say that it comes out 2024. Let's say it's only bumped by one year, right? From March. Uh, I will say that March 23 is not a release date. That's the end of the fiscal year that it would have come out by. Yeah, they, they said it was going to come out by. So let's yeah. assume it's a bumped by a fiscal year. So let's say it comes out by the end of March 2024. Um, that means that it started getting made in 2018 because it was already in development for two and a half years, as Jamie said, in 2020. It started getting made in 2018. It's not out until 2024. This is a remake of The Prince of Persia, The Sands yeah, of Time. Yeah, six years development. Like, you know what they should have done? cyberpunk. Like, like, come on. This like, is like, here's the thing, right? Like, when you say that you're going to do a remake instead of a remaster, you almost think to yourself, like, you're going to do it properly. But then they hand it off to their, like, newly formed Indian studio, right? And then, and it takes this long, like, Surely they just would have been a lot better just saying, here's a remaster by those Indian studios. If they really wanted to make it like a proper fucking give it a go, they would have just kept it at Ubisoft Montreal. Like, I, 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 don't, like, I don't really understand the process of their thinking. So. And, and maybe, maybe it's emblematic of those reports that we heard that uh, Ubisoft were essentially going to be bought out and acquired by other companies you know like private private equity right (laughs) yeah private equity so you know maybe the reason that fucking 
Skull and Bones is still the fucking thing. And Prince of Persia remake was is potentially in development for six years is because actually Ubisoft have no fucking clue anymore. And you I know mean, what? Like from this side of the couch, kind of seems that way. There, there's a, there's an argument to be made there. That's for sure. It does unfortunately seem a bit like that. It's also mad to think that, like, if this comes out in 2024, we could be talking about does the Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake come with a have a, a PlayStation 5 Pro patch ready? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. They're, well, yeah, something they have, and then they won't be able to do that because they'll be like, oh, we weren't expecting, so now we've got to push it to another studio to get that made. So it's going to get delayed even further. Oh, and then, and so, then the, new, the, the next gen is going to, it's going to be like, was well, it too human all over again? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. That, that worked out really well forever. for them. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, no, no. Hey, is it, to be fair, you have to laugh. You have to laugh or you would cry, and that's how it kind of works, isn't it? Hey, fellas, so, game development's a hard fucking thing. So, you know, fair, fair enough. You know, we're not making any fucking games yet. We just switch on a camera and complain about it all, you know, like once a week. So, fucking, what do we know? I <laughs> see, I'm. I, th- I think part of the problem is these days is that people think it is easy. And when they get into it and look at how difficult it bloody is, then, because they seem to keep making the same problems. Like everyone in the video games industry, it's like every 10 years, someone makes exactly the same problem or has the exact same problem that someone had 10 years before that. That's how it kind of seems. This is, this is what I'm saying. They need to hire the super show as consultants. And all we do is we roll up in there and we say, oh, you're doing this thing but you're not following the clear blueprint that is available for you on how to succeed. Go fuck yourselves. Right? Yeah. I just play, we just play it for two hours. And I'm like, oh, see, here's the problem right now. Your games are six out of 10. It's got to be at least a nine. So yeah. I reckon to go away, work on that. We'll come back later. It's, it isn't, do you know what is, it is kind of incredible. We've talked about before on the pod, how they have um, a lot of games these days uh, with sort of like loot cycles and things like that. They've almost got a psychology down to an exact science where they can keep you in that cycle and they can keep churning you so they know exactly when to drop something to make you keep playing the game. To, But then you think, well, hold on. They couldn't even make a game that they could keep me playing. <laughs> like they, Some some companies apparently have got it down to such a fine science that they can mean that I That's never the leave blueprint, the game. That's the blueprint, Jonesy. That's the blueprint. It's like so we're Some say, people have it's like we're saying with, some people don't. Yeah, it's like we're saying with the Avengers and Outriders, like, Blueprint exists. It's called Destiny Two. Like, no, but so what I'm saying is, you'd expect if if it, if they can do it to such a fine science in some games, why can't they do it at all in well, others? Yeah, especially Ubisoft at one point were the kings of that. Like, if you flash yeah. back to Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Ghost Recon Wildlands, and kind of like when they basically the last time they felt like they were in a good place, just before everything fell off a cliff, like. <laughs> Game like player retention was at an astronomical rate compared to where they were a few games before, and you know I don't know how much money they were generating through microtransactions in games like uh, you know Assassin's Creed Odyssey, for example. But like that seemed to have been a hit by almost all possible metrics, and in the space of one game in that franchise, Valhalla. Don't get me wrong, Valhalla sold extremely well. That wasn't an issue in the end, but like the retention side of the Ubisoft game seemed to have fallen off a cliff. Yeah. I don't know, and and now and now we're talking about how they can't get a remake right. It's fascinating. It's I th- I think in some sense they seem to hit the game and the uh, the cycle and how they manage to churn the audience seems to hit perfectly sometimes. But then maybe it's the audience that shifts, and then they try and do the same thing again. Maybe, but because the people have shifted and the audience have shifted, 
it then just doesn't work in the same way. And then they have to kind of rediscover the magic source again. They have to rediscover the blueprint. Maybe that's the real problem. Like if you really, if you released a Destiny 2 now, like maybe you'd have exactly the same problem and that the, the audience has shifted and it wouldn't work in the same way. So yeah, it's, 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 it surely is an interesting one. Um, but fellas, with that, I'm going to say sli- a slightly shorter podcast. I apologize for people that uh, get all bent out of shape when we don't hit the two hour <laughs> mark. But I think we're, I think we're about one hour 45 ish. Is that right? Uh, Something like that. Yeah, maybe, know. maybe somewhere on there. You know what? I think it's good timing. That is well, okay. Pretty because good any, any longer and uh, my throat may just fucking dissolve. Chris <laughs> is, uh, as it turns out, Chris is no longer the throat goat. Disappointed. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> The title has been stripped. No longer. Um, do we have a code word to uh, for people to drop at the end of um, down in the comments on the YouTube video so that they can know that we've made it to this point? Just fucking follow the blueprint, fellas. What I say follow the blueprint. Sure. Throat, why not? Throat goat. <laughs> how, about, how about not throat goat? Think that's going to be fucking the throat goat. You fucker. No, it's follow the blueprint. It's the if throat. It it's the point. throat goat blueprint. We all know what we're referring to. A throat, throat goat blueprint. Yeah, I like it. Um, I mean, but, thanks. Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. <laughs> Rock and roll. All that's left to be said is, if you would like to reach out to us on Twitter or YouTube, you can go to at Super Show Pod. Uh, leave us a comment, tweet at us, do us a DM or whatever you call it on Twitter, because then uh, Chris will read it out, because we never get any, so he will read it out. Can I do a quick check? Is. Go yeah, on. Yeah, sure, live on air. Uh, I can see... Pick It Up Gaming, shout out, did tweet... Uh, giving us as a suggestion for a really good podcast. So thank you for that one. Um, and uh, no new messages. So, Damn. So drop us a DM on Twitter and uh, Chris will read it out on the show because we never get any, and he gets all excited when we get one. We are on all major podcasting platforms um, as well as YouTube, as I said. So oh, you can sorry. Uh, listen to us. I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, can Chris, can you just double check the DMs, please? Fuck off, okay? You, sc- you scumbag. Yeah, there's a DM from, from Jamie, of all people. What's it say? Nah. Nah. <laughs> okay. That would be something for the folks at home to try and figure out then. What did I say to Chris? That, and with that, I think that's the end of the show. <laughs> it wasn't Thank that you so exciting. Much Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Chris. Um, hopefully we'll have a full house again next week. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you to our amazing uh, patrons over at patreon.com. We, we won't have a full house next week. Chris is on holiday. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, no, I'm not. not. Uh, no, no, I'll, I'll be in next week. <coughs> Excuse me. The 13th, the 12th and 13th. I thought that's when you went away. No. Um, I'll be in next week. Week after that, I'm back in Manchester. Hey, then that's what we like to see. Week after that, I'll be in, and then week after that, I'm on holiday. So perfect. Uh, I got the wrong week. month. <laughs> next week, full house. So uh, make sure you tune in for that, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. See ya. Bye.